0: You're listening to the Colts Blue Zone Podcast with Mike Chappell and Dave Griffiths. From outside and inside the Fox 59 CBS4 Podcast Studio, welcome to Draft Week and the Colts Blue Zone Podcast. Alongside Mike Chappell and Joe Hopkins, I'm Dave Griffiths. Joe is the only one of us who is dedicated enough to his job this draft week to be in the station right now. Everyone else is just slacking and staying at home and uh, resting up. Really, we're resting up so that we're fully prepared, Joe for the weekend, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, but you're just so amped that you're already in there right now.
1: Oh, don't be too humble, Dave. I see you working on the podcast on your day off. So we're all putting it in big draft week. I can't wait. My wife, the other day, she asked me, she was like, so what are you going to do when the draft is over? And I was like, what are you talking about? And she said, you are constantly on that silly pro football, focus mock (laughs) draft machine day and night. What are you going to do? I said, don't worry, baby. Once the draft's over, I'll move on to fantasy football mock drafts, and that'll entertain my time. But uh, I could not be more excited here to get it going. We'll look back on general
0: manager Chris Ballard's draft history with the Colts. He's had five of them so far here in Indy, working on his sixth coming up this week. We'll hear from some analysts what they had to say about the Colts mock draft, where they think they'll go, especially in the second round. We've got our own mock drafts, can't wait to show you those, and uh, you're going to have a special opportunity to vote for your favorite on Twitter later, we'll give you some of that information, or you can just check out probably right now uh, at Colts Blue Zone on Twitter, it'll probably be there by the time you uh, you listen to us here on this podcast, and we'll make our predictions for what's going to happen in this draft, so maybe some bold predictions coming from us uh, later on the show, but first we'll start a little bit with the news, because last week we did focus a lot on Debo Samuel, we talked quite a bit about uh, his availability from the 49ers why the Colts may or may not want to make a trade for him. Um, There there has been some, some chatter out of San Francisco, and General Manager John Lynch specifically saying, I can't ever imagine wanting to move on from Debo. He's just too good of a player. And multiple reports also claim San Francisco feels very strongly about keeping Samuel. Well, obviously, since GM John Lynch just said that basically exact same thing. So... Uh, guys, I, I don't think any of us were incredibly bullish on the Colts trading for Samuel anyway. Like, we'd love to have a guy with his talents here in Indy. I think every Colts fan would love to have a guy of his talents here in Indy. Uh, but, Mike, we we thought it was probably a bridge just a little bit too far. And uh, this is, if nothing else, it's John Lynch driving up the price for uh, if anybody really wants to trade for Debo. So uh, I doubt the Colts either have the ammunition or want to give up the ammunition they have to bring someone of his talents here to Indianapolis.
2: Probably both. I, you know, I, I suppose if if they really thought he was the missing piece, they would find a way to make it work, although Frisco is going to want immediate draft help, and, and they won't get that from the Colts. You just Without that first-round pick, it limits you on a lot of things. But we also we, – we it came up with Chris Ballard last week. How comfortable is he now with receivers getting $25 million a year? And not very. So it's really a difficult situation. Would Debo Samuel lift this offense? Absolutely. You know, whether or not the Colts could tap into the way the Niners have, I don't know. But let's not kid ourselves. This guy's still a very young player with dynamic skills. It's just not a fit for the way these guys build a team.
0: Also, the New York Giants reportedly are trying to trade wide receiver Kadarius Tony, a first-round pick just last year in 2021. That reported first, uh, I believe, first from the beat writer uh, Pat Leonard. Um, I've seen it from a couple other people too. I have, since I was a Syracuse University graduate, we'll throw that out right now and get the Syracuse mention out of the way for the show. Like I have a couple friends. Yep, there it is. Check it off. Uh, a couple of friends who are who are in the uh, like very ingrained in the in the Giants beat as well. I've seen it from them, too. Uh, so anyway, uh, there is a new regime right now in New York, so a different change. Uh, Tony has uh, reported to voluntary workouts after skipping Phase 1 of the workouts, so he's at least there in the building. Uh, but Joe, for for a guy last year who's a first-round pick, a team maybe reportedly already trying to move on from him, hey, that's a red flag for me, uh, but uh, he certainly has the talent uh, to, to do something in the NFL for somebody who was a 20th overall pick just a year ago.
1: Yeah, I I have a hard time thinking the Colts would give up quite a bit for such a still unproven player. You know, a guy like Debo, okay, this is a stud wide receiver who you add him to the roster and maybe a Super Bowl contender, but this guy is still so unproven. I have a hard time thinking the Colts would want a guy just one year after the team who drafted him is willing to move on.
0: The Colts are hosting a free day two draft party presented by Bud Light Friday, 7 p.m., at Kilroy's in Broad Ripple, it'll feature live draft coverage with the voice of the Colts, Matt Taylor, and former coach Rick Venturi uh, broadcast on The Fan 105.7. There will also be Colts giveaways, drink specials, plenty more. you got to be 21 or older to go, but uh, always fun to, to hang out with fellow, uh, fellow friends and fellow Colts fans. Uh, if you're uh, in town, you have the availability Friday night. I uh, encourage you to check that out. should be a blast. And you can also follow our Joe. Joe, what do you have to say?
1: I was going to, I just saw Robert Mathis tweeted that on Thursday, he's going to be at Caroy's for a draft party at 7.30 p.m. So check out his tweet for more details. But uh, that was a cool thing going on as well.
0: Yeah, maybe the Colts trade into the first round. We get something interesting on Thursday. Although I think all of us are, uh, are not quite so, are, are more bearish than bullish on that. Uh, anyway, But anyway, you can follow our live blog on Fox59 and CBS4Indy.com, both of them. Um, Joe is going to be running that blog starting on Thursday night for the first round of the NFL draft. Doesn't matter if the Colts aren't picking, Joe is knee-deep, uh, or really neck-deep, in uh, draft coverage by that point for sure got immediate reaction, analysis of Colts pick whenever it comes, or potential trades. Well, We'll have work from Mike Chappell, the rest of uh, us on the Fox 59 sports team as well. So, so plenty of draft coverage coming online, fox59.com, cbs4indy.com, starting on Thursday night. So if you're not a Kilroy's Broad Ripple, or if you are, heck, check on check us in on your phone as well, follow along with, uh, with our thoughts, our ideas, and uh, what we expect to see or analysis of what is happening through the draft. Chris Ballard's draft history for the Colts has been, like I said, for five years. He's made 45 picks in his years as general manager, so averaging nine picks a year. His fewest picks is seven, which is the number of picks the Colts have right now. That's another reason why we all probably think that he's much more likely to trade down than to trade up and gather a few more picks in this year's draft. Um, Of the 22 projected starters from the Colts, um, Joe, uh, tells us here that 15 or 16 are manned by draft picks. And it depends on how you view the wide receiver tight end situation, but this will actually be, which is a, this is a strange stat to me. The third time in the last four years that the Colts don't have a first round pick, Mike, they traded the first round pick for Wentz in 20, uh, in this one in 2022. Uh, they picked last year in the first round. They got quitty Pay. 2020. They traded their first round pick for DeForest Buckner. 2019 they traded their first round pick to Washington for two second rounders. This is probably something that's more of along the lines of showing Chris Ballard's philosophy in the draft and saying that if you can't get someone who's truly elite to trade more in the second round where he sees probably more value overall especially in these recent years I guess. Um, so that's the, it's just a little bit of a trend that uh, we we got to keep in mind, and another reason why that he's probably more likely to trade down from his pick at 42 than he would be to trade into the late first round because he's traded out of the late first round in the past couple years sometimes.
2: Yeah, he indicated obviously that there's most drafts there's a cutoff whatever that cutoff is. I'm not talking blue chip players. I think he told us there were like five or six blue chip players in this year's draft. I'm talking players that, that are first round worthy. Maybe 15, 20, I don't know. But I think when they're in the bottom third of the first round, if there's not a player that he's just in love with, he's going to try to trade back. I think he gets gets the impression that the player you get at 21 probably isn't that much different than the player you're going to get at 41. I think they've got clusters of players. So this may be a trend. I don't know. I would argue I would would make the divorce Buckner trade every day. I would I would get a player, a young player on the rise at a, at a position of need. By the way, as opposed to you know throwing a dart, so to speak, in the draft. Carson Wentz is a different issue. In in the 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 trade back to get Rocky in, I, I think that that bears in mind that he would rather trade back and get more players unless there's a player that they just love, at wherever they're drafting. When we were doing, and we'll get to it. When we were doing the, the the mock draft on Pro Football Focus, I kept trying to trade, force a trade up, mm-hmm. not in the, not into the first round, but like thirty five or thirty six to get a guy. And every time I do it, I think I'm thinking he's not going to do that. Yeah, he he he's not going to whatever it costs. The fact they've got seven picks, and, and on top of that, this is a roster as it stands right now that needs depth. It needs to add another, I don't know, sixteen players or so. So, and you, the, the main, the, the primary way of doing that is to draft them and then get the guys after the draft. But I, for him to move up in the first round this year, we, we'll be out there at Colts Complex on Thursday at you know eight o'clock until what midnight, because you never know. But I think at midnight when the clock strikes, we're going to go home with with no action by the Colts.
0: And we know that Chris Bauer loves to trade on draft day. Most of his trades have been to, to trade back and to gain a couple more picks. There's been a couple where he's traded up. He traded up to get Kari Willis. Uh, he's, he, he told us a couple years ago that he tried to trade up to get Danny Pinter and just was fortunate enough that Pinter fell to the Colts there uh, two years ago, I believe it was. But, traded up
2: uh, to get Jonathan Taylor.
0: And Jonathan Taylor traded up to get Jonathan Taylor too. So those guys that he's traded up for have certainly played a key role in our starters uh, on the team right now uh joe when you look at all you, you've listed all these all these trades he's made 12 trades total in five drafts so he's averaging more than one per draft so when we're making our bold predictions later um to say that he's going to make a trade is is not exactly a bold prediction and be bold to say he's trading four times but 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 one would be uh, well obviously chris bowett's going to trade once you just think it's going to happen but uh, you 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 let you really went down all these trades from 2017 to last year in 2021. Any of them stick out to you as particularly poignant?
1: Uh, Well, the one, it it doesn't really count as an in-draft trade. It's the uh, Quentin Nelson, Darius Leonard trade, where the Colts trade back from three to six uh, with the Jets and end up getting several second-round picks in return. It, It really set the Colts up to establish the base of their team, Quentin Nelson, Darius Leonard, Uh, The other second-round pick uh, ended up being Rocky Sin, who contributed for a few years. So that one's really one that stands out to me um, as being a trade that set the Colts up for a lot of success. Um, Looking at 2019, you know, the Colts traded back. uh, They could have taken Montez Sweat, the defensive end. They ended up trading that away um, and make a pick in the second round to get Michael Pittman Jr. So... I just thought it was interesting to go through each trade. You know, some of these were four or five years out. We can definitively say if it was, if the draft pick was successful or not. And you look at them and most of them were, there aren't a lot of instances where the Colts should have just stayed in position and taken a pick. Usually they trade back and get pretty good value. Lots
0: of reasons to to make trades. Like you said, if, if another team really has their eyes set on someone, you can get value for that. A lot of times if a team just is, kind of laser focused on someone um and and that can really benefit your franchise in the future mike like these are there's a lot of trades here last year there was only one um it was that they uh traded a a sixth round pick for a sixth and a seventh uh they got sam ellinger and uh, ellinger and mike strawn uh but that was the only thing that really happened last year uh so after after that um 2020 there were three trades, 2019 three trades, 2018 four trades. So last year was really kind of the aberration. He might, uh, the Chris Bowd was kind of quiet. I think there would be more of a chance that uh, he gets uh, really busy in this draft than than not.
2: Yeah, and again, it's it's the odds. You just you sort of play the odds. And you know, more is better. If if you're going to hit on 40 or 50 percent of your of your picks, more you hope. Well, the, the more picks you got, the more shots you've got to hit it. And what's really interesting, and I'd, I'd love to see it, a comparison after the fact, you know, how did the Colts have their draft board lined up, I don't know, one through 100, with, with the Bears, with with the Rams, with Tampa? How similar do teams have players in general ranked? And I, I it's got to vary from team to team simply because, the Colts are very uh, metrics oriented and, and they've got, they've got categories and, and statistics and, and measurables you need to hit at each position. You know, it's one, one of the great stories is, is Kenny Moore. You remember how he got here waivers from New England and it was at a time when the Colts desperately needed cornerbacks. They had people that they, they were out of players at the position. And one of the scouts kept bringing up Kenny Moore's name and, and, And Chris Ballard sort of dismissed it. He said, no, he doesn't have the measurables, too short, whatever, arm length, whatever. And finally, they wore him down and he said, fine, let's get him. And the rest is history, one of the top nickels in the league. So it would really be cool to see how these guys have their board rank because what one team thinks is a good fit isn't a good fit elsewhere.
0: So Joe has uh, been kind enough to list all the Colts draft classes here from 2017 when Chris Ballard first first took over to last year in 2021. Um, and there's all these names in front of us right now, so uh, we can take our stab at ranking these classes from Chris Ballard, what he's been able to do. Um I think it'll be interesting to see where we all rank last year's class, just because they've only been in the league for one year. So I think you learn a lot more of a draft class in its second year. But nevertheless, we'll we'll throw it in somewhere, nevertheless. Uh, Joe, as we're all ranking this class, it's hard not to rank 2018 number one. Because you get Quentin Nelson and Darius Leonard and Braden Smith, one, two, three. I mean... Uh, two guys at the top who are perennial not perennial not just pro bowlers but all pros uh, it's going to be hard to to look past that kind of uh production at the top of the list and when you go down i mean that that's not it e- even down in the lower round you get some great value from some of these players so if you're looking at chris ballard's best draft classes joe i think you really need to start with 2018.
1: Yeah, I thought we could just kind of start the conversation at what was the second best, because that one is clearly the best draft. Uh, You already mentioned the two all pros. Uh, Kind of, you know, they contributed from time to time, but a little bit of a swing and a miss on Kamoko Torrey and Taequann Lewis. That's why the Colts ended up taking two defensive ends with their first two picks last year. Uh, But Naheem Hines in the fourth round, he's on his second contract with the team. Uh, Jordan Wilkins in the fifth round contributed and was a good... Uh, third running back. And then to get Matthew Adams and Zaire Franklin in the seventh round, two guys who contributed mightily on special teams. And then Zaire has earned a second contract and kind of de- developed into that starting role, that third linebacker for the Colts currently. Uh, just an excellent draft all around.
0: Mike, when you look at all these draft class and you're able to break them down, is there anything that stands out to you as maybe the second best draft class? Because, I, like I told Joe, I think. 2018, it, it's hard to argue anything else is better than that just because of the extreme quality that uh, Chris Ballard found at the top of the class. And there was some depth down there that Joe mentioned. But uh, after that, uh, does anything kind of um, pique your interest as to, hey, this this class should probably be ranked second from Ballard behind that one in 2018? Yeah, 2020.
2: When you get Pittman, you get Taylor. You got Julian Blackman. Uh, Danny Pinner, who they're projected to be a starter and Isaiah Rogers, and we'll see about Des Patman. Jordan Glasgow's been a core special team player, so I, I think it's it's pretty clear that 18 and then 20. I would I was kind of looking, and then third I had 2017, which I had to argue myself with because Malik Cooker injuries just, just killed his career here. Quincy Wilson was a bust, Terrell Basham was a bust, Zach Banner was a bust, but you get Marlon Mack, Grover Stewart, and Anthony Walker near the bottom of the draft. That, that's pretty good second half of the draft. The one that just kills me, and it really hurts this team, was 2019. You know, yes, you get Okariki and you get Willis. EJ Speed has been a good player. But, boy, when you rock in, Ben Banagoo and, and Paris Campbell, your top three picks, to get no more than they've gotten out of those guys – Rocky Sin, we'll see. I mean, he maybe he would have built on last year, I don't know. Or maybe he was that roller coaster corner that just teases you. But to really, really miss on Bannago, which they have, maybe with a new coordinator. I I, I don't know. I mean, I, I guess I would lean towards low expectations. And Paris Campbell, yes, it's injuries, but it's injuries. So I think two thousand two thousand nineteen is the one that really needed to be more, and and hasn't been.
0: Yeah, Joe, that twenty nineteen draft. I think it was a whole lot of like it, it's it's very much up and down with with that one. It's perhaps the most um, uh, the most fluctuating draft. That's not the right word, but it's it's the one that I guess it, to me it has it has some good hits, but it has some really big misses too. Um, and Mike mentioned near the top of the draft that uh, Hassein, Bangu, and Campbell just haven't lived up to their billing. Um, Rock had a good year last year. I'm not going to take that away from him at all, and allowed the Colts to trade him for Yannick Ngakwe. So uh, you can't completely uh, throw that out out of the picture. That that's kind of w- where it led to for the Colts. But but Goo has done uh, has has been incredibly disappointing. Campbell has been injury wise disappointing. Um, I don't want to take anything away from his play on the field. Not that anything that he's done on the field has been exemplary, but uh, he just haven't had the chance to be out there. Card Willis, very productive. He's a starter that you have that you really like. EJ Speed, he's a special teamer that you really like. But even in other drafts, like you're able to get guys late, like Chap mentioned, Matthew Adams and Zaire Franklin in 2018 in the the seventh round. In 2017, you get Anthony Walker Jr. late there in the fifth round. That was a huge contributor on your defense for a while, but then in 2019, your late round picks are Gary Green, Jackson Barton, and Javon Patterson. I mean, there was a lot of swings and misses late, especially in this draft that uh, Chris Ballard has been able to find late value in some other drafts. So I, I think 2019, there was a whole lot of really bottom of the barrel that kind of uh, eliminates the the wins that you get with Kari Willis, EJ Speed. So maybe 2019, after coming off that great draft in 2018, 2019, there were a whole lot of clunkers.
1: Yeah, I think 2019 is clearly Ballard's worst draft. I mean... To sit here in the top three pick, you know, three second round picks. Yasin Banigu and Campbell have really Yasin's gone, and I I am not going to call him a bust. He was a good cornerback, and he got a great defensive end on the team. But to get virtually nothing out of Campbell or Banigu really hurts. Okariki and Willis are good players, but they're not necessarily game changers. They are solid starters and. Uh, you need solid starters. Not everyone's going to be a superstar, but when you look at the draft as a whole, you go, okay, we came away with two solid starters, but really with the potential that this draft could have been with those three second round picks, uh, I think it's got to be seen as a letdown overall. All
0: right.
1: So, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah one, 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 go ahead. One Mike.
2: thing when, when you, to me, when you're looking at drafts, you've got to, you, you've got to hit, and Daniel Jeremiah had a good point with where he said, yeah, I, you know, ideally you want to get three starters from a draft. And if you do that you're really you're really kind of getting a foundation. But for a draft to, to to really have the impact, you hit on those late round picks. That's your depth. That's your special teams. And again going through going through like you talked about Zaire Frank and Matthew Adams. Let's not forget Jordan Wilkins was a what was he, a fifth round pick, was a quality number three for quite a while. So to, to to miss on late round picks year after year, it, it does cut into your your depth, and that's why they need they really need for like Des Patman, they need Michael Strawn to, to step forward, Kylan Granson. So again, they need to hit on two or three guys in this draft because of misses in previous drafts and because of free agent defections that that have impacted this roster moving forward.
0: That's why a guy like Mike Strawn is such a like, a lot of attention is on him there in the seventh round, Mike, because he's really not a special teams guy. He is more of a—he's he's a wide receiver, really. He They draft him down there to try to develop him and make him into something that you can use on the offensive side of the ball. Like You, you look at where other players have gone later in these rounds that have been good special teams players. We mentioned Jordan Glasgow and uh, Matthew Adams, Zaire Franklin. Um, they're, they're They're trying to make him into a— into a good offensive player, which is very rare to do in the second round. I think there's a lot of potential there for sure, but but that's why he gets a, a, a lot of the spotlight on him from last year. A lot of fans just focus on Mike Strawn because like he's drafted with the idea that he's not going to be a special teams player, that he's going to be a contributor to this offense for a while, and and it just might take a good deal of time to do so.
2: so. And, they, and they knew that drafted him. I think they told us when they drafted him that this was sort of a, a developmental player. And there were times at the end of last year when we asked Frank about why Strand's not more, more uh, involved, and he said he's not ready yet. So I, I think that's not a surprise on how little he played and how little he contributed. They thought it would take a year to sort of get acclimated to this level. And that's why one of the reasons they're very high on his upside going into this year.
0: So who do the experts say the Colts will take in the second round of this year's draft? Let's run down a couple of them, shall we? The Colts, as of now, pick 42nd overall in the second round. And most NFL draft uh, prognosticators don't do a whole lot with trades uh, when it comes to what they're going to do for their uh, for their mocks. So if they stay at 42nd overall in the second round, here's what we see Uh, from, like I said, some of these uh, national experts. ESPN's Mel Kuyper has the Colts taking Tyler Smith, an offensive tackle, out of Tulsa in the second round. And we see that same pick from Pro Football Focus's Anthony Thresh. Pro Football Network's James Gregosa has them selecting Bernard Raymond, an offensive tackle out of Central Michigan. Uh, WalterFootball.com and NFL.com's Chad Reuter also have Raymond. As the selection we will stay with offensive tackle Vinnie Iyer of SportingNews.com has the Colts taking Nicholas Petit Freer uh, out of, um, out of Ohio state right there. There's one wide receiver here. Sky Moore, Dane Brugler of the athletic has the Colts taking sky and CBS sports uh, has a pair of uh, draft analysts, Chris Trapasso taking David Ojabo out of Michigan, Ryan Wilson taking, uh, Lewis uh, scene sign a safety out of Georgia. I honestly don't know how to pronounce his last name to be perfectly honest.
1: Um, I've heard it pronounced both ways. Okay, I
0: don't think,
2: I don't think it'll matter. Cause
0: I don't think they'll take him.
1: Yeah. yeah. Uh, Those last year are just kind of like what in the world?
0: Yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, Joe, only the athletic had the Colts taking a wide receiver in round two. Um, that is far different than, uh, if you've listened to any Chris Ballard press conference, uh, with the local media here for the past couple months, how wide receiver focused some of our questions in particular have been. Uh, there, there's a lot of focus on wide receiver here locally for good reason, I think, because last year Michael Pittman Jr. was your only wide receiver of note. The next best receiver was Zach Pascal, who had fewer than 400 yards receiving on the year. So obviously it's a position of need. Obviously the Colts haven't done anything about it in free agency, but it looks like nationally – Um, the, the value that some of these people see is in some different positions. So, uh, our, our local hyper-focus on wide receiver, uh, they think that maybe it doesn't come to be. And
1: maybe part of that has to do with nationally, they might not know as much about Matt Pryor and the confidence that the Colts seem to have in him and how he performed in his uh time starting last year um so maybe that has something to do with it they see a bigger hole at left tackle than some others might hear locally but I was just kind of surprised going through everything and not seeing more wide receivers to me that's clearly the most glaring hole on this team is the need to add a second receiver they were bad at receiver last year and then lost Pascal and to this point T.Y. Hilton is still not on the team um so uh, I would really focus on wide receiver in that second round and knowing that Chris Ballard's probably going to do the opposite.
0: Mike I I know I'm pretty sure that you you would still rank your needs as a starting left tackle number 1 over a number 1/2 slash two, arguably wide receiver. Um but when you're picking at 42nd in the second round it's probably much more likely to get a wide receiver that can contribute right away than an offensive tackle. If they can get a starting offensive tackle, then I think by by all means take them. But it's just not likely to get one at that point.
2: And, and joking, maybe t- tell me this, but remember there was a someone did a study or a survey on where the starting left tackles were drafted, and the vast majority are round one, and majority of those are in the top half of round one. So. I I just and there's going to be a run on on tackles this year. There are, I mean, the top ten could could there be three three left tackles taken in the top ten, perhaps? Absolutely. So I I just yeah I, I, I this is one where I'm just I'm let's not overthink it. Maybe nationally people are overthink this, overcomplicated. I kind of go by what they've done. They've shown us their intentions by what they've done and not done. They've given us every indication that they believe Matt Pryor is at least the short-term answer at left tackle. We can argue whether he's not. They gave him five or six million dollars for a year, which is which is almost what they gave Fisher last year. Not quite. So okay, I'll I, I believe it. You, you think he can do it? Everything that they've not done is receiver. They've simply not, they they've ignored the position, for lack of a better. You know, okay, yeah, they they. They signed Ashton Doolin to his restricted tender. Well, that's – you're going to do that. Like Joe said, They a position of need last year has worsened. When it, it tells you – and I mentioned this last week, and I don't mean to pile on Zach Paschal, but right now they miss Zach Paschal. They really do. So I, I just it, – it, it, to me, it, it's just maybe maybe we do have tunnel vision – but I think it's it's, it's it's out of an educated assessment of where they are. If they believe that there, there's a, a starting left tackle, I mean a starting left tackle at 42, okay, take him. But I would feel better about that if they had done something to this point to help receiver, and they've not. So I just think, again, I, I've used this phrase – They've boxed themselves in to, to receiver in the draft and I don't know how they get out of it.
0: The 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 reason that I just don't think they're they they see a starting left tackle at forty second overall is I look back to twenty eighteen in that draft, and when they took Braden Smith, what was he at like thirty-sixth or 39th overall, somewhere in there? Um I, I talking to Chris Ballard and Frank Reich, they were thinking that he's probably a guard at the at the next level. Like they, they took him as a perhaps a guy who's a starting guard, they wanted. And then Coach uh, Coach Googe uh, was like, "No, he's a tackle," uh, and so so Googe kept him a, a, on the outside, and he was completely right about that. And Brayden Smith turned into a very good, very very solid starting right tackle for this team. So starting right tackle. Let, let me emphasize that, not not at left tackle. So. Uh, so, so guys, uh, it, it just, just the, the opportunity for there to be a starting left tackle at 42nd overall is, is incredibly rare. And, and Joe, I doubt that you have that, uh, that page in front of you where, um, where you, you, we've, we talked about a, a couple of blue zones ago, quite a few blue zones ago about where starting left tackles in the NFL were taken, but, uh, they're, they're the, it's like Mike said, the majority are in the first round or at the top of the first round, and after that, there's a lot of guys that were taken late and just developed well. I mean, there's not a whole lot of guys there in the second round that were taken to starting left tackles in the NFL. You just don't really find them there too often. So uh, so it, it's very unlikely, uh, just based on, based on history, that the Colts are going to be able to get someone who's a starting left tackle there in the second round. W- would it be great if they did? Obviously, it'd be great if they did. Solve that position, Solve the backside protection for the quarterback that you need. It was Mike Chappell's most valuable player on the Colts, Anthony Costanzo, for years outside of Andrew Luck because it kept Andrew Luck upright. And it's going to be the same thing again whenever they do get someone who can step in there at left tackle. But just to get one at 42 is incredibly rare. And, it, and through through doing as many mock drafts as I've done, also on Pro Football Focus, Joe, as I'm sure you have, like Bernard Raymond from Central Michigan never gets to the Colts in any of those mock drafts that I did. So uh, all those guys, even that project with some great skills, are typically go in, in the first round or at the early, early part of the second round. It's just so hard to find them there at 42nd overall.
1: Yeah, and Tyler Smith is also a guy who consistently goes above forty two and Smith is kind of a he's a big athletic mauler, but his technique needs a lot of work and there is talk about moving him inside to guard possibly as well if he's not able to hold up on the outside. Uh, and then Raymond's a the guy who just converted from tight end. I believe I've mentioned that on the podcast before. He's only been at tackle a couple of years now. So he needs he might not be ready to start right away either. Um, you look at they're kind of the fifth and sixth tackles in this class at the top. You got Ikea Kwanu, uh, Evan Neal from Alabama, uh, Charles Cross from Mississippi State. And then that fourth guy is Trevor Penning. Then you got guys like Tyler Smith, Bernard Raymond, guys who show a lot of potential but might need a little bit more um, shine to get them ready to start on Sundays. Could six tackles go in the first round? Absolutely. So there's a good chance these players are not even there. The other tackle listed, Nicholas Petit-Freer from Ohio State. He's a guy I like, and you know I actually have the Colts taking in the mock drafts we did, which I have coming up next, but not with the 42nd pick. He's someone... Um, who might be seen as a reach at 42 just because he was inconsistent last year at Ohio State. And so he's kind of seen as a little bit more of a developmental tackle. Um, I'm not sure any of these guys would be better than Matt Pryor right away.
0: Well, Joe, you mentioned that uh, all your mock drafts that you've done on Pro Football Focus, we've each done uh, at least one that we have uh, sent to uh, Joe. He's going to post them to Twitter at Colts Blue Zone a little bit later. Let you all take a look at them, see which one you like best. You can vote on it coming up. We'll be eager to see which mock draft you like the best for the Colts. But uh, but Chap has sent his to Joe. I've sent mine to Joe. Joe has one of his 87,000 that he's done already that he likes the best to, uh, to post to, to the site. So you, got, you all have to take that in consideration when you're voting. Joe had way more opportunities to do this, obviously, than the rest of us. But uh, nevertheless, uh, Joe, why don't you start with your draft since you've probably put the most of your work into it. We'll go to CHAP after that. I'll kind of go after you all. We can certainly debate and talk about some of these picks in the meantime, but uh, but we're going to start on Joe's pick, Joe's full mock draft available at pff.com and uh, see what he gets the Colts and he'll talk about what he likes about some of these players maybe what he doesn't like or you know whatever it could be like "Eh, this might be a reach here but I took him uh, like this anyway so we're going to start with Joe Hopkins Colts mock draft from profootballfocus.com see what he has to say and uh, then Chap and I will tell him why ours are better a little bit later on so Joe why don't you start us off
1: yeah and this is a mock that I actually posted on the website on Monday so I actually wrote up a story about it kind of explaining each pick so if you've already checked that out a thank you and sorry that you're going to have to hear this again. Um, but with the 42nd overall pick, I had the Colts staying where they are because they didn't have to move because Jahan Dotson from Penn State fell to them at that spot. Uh, I would be ecstatic if Dotson was available at 42. He's a guy who was productive in the Big Ten, has the speed the Colts really need to threaten the defense, maybe uh, pull a couple more defenders out of the box and really open things up for Jonathan Taylor. Not very big, about 5'11, 178. But, you know, I remember another Colts wide receiver who was not very big and very fast named T.Y. Hilton, who had some good years in Indianapolis. And I think Jahan Dotson can really fill a similar role. Um, he, he, he's got great leaping ability, very strong hands, very good route running ability, really a polished wide receiver who can come in year one and um, really produce for this Indianapolis team as the second wide receiver and maybe develop more into more of a 1B uh, going forward with Michael Pittman Jr. I think their skill sets complement each other uh, in a terrific fashion. Moving along here, you know, I got to the third-round pick, 73. I didn't see anyone really (laughs) worth the 73rd overall pick, so I said, what would Ballard do? Ballard would trade back right here, and that's what I did uh it's a cool feature in the app it allows you know it says like teams interested in trading with you and the Broncos were one of them so in this trade uh the Colts send the 73rd pick to Denver as well as 159th pick and get back the 96th pick still a late third rounder uh the 115th pick 116th pick and a fourth rounder in 2023 Uh, I would call that a win for the Colts. They gather more picks in this draft to add more depth to this team and another draft pick in next year's draft, something we've seen Chris Ballard do multiple times during his tenure with the Colts. is not just pick up more picks this year, but add more in next year's drafts as well. With the first pick the Colts got in that trade, 96 overall, I had them take Nicholas Petit-Freer from Ohio State. He's an athletic tackle. Um, who coming into the season was considered a potential first round pick, uh, really had some up and down play last year, uh, some games where he just played lights out, some games where he really struggled and gave up a lot of pressures. So that's why he's available in the third round, has the tools to develop the length, the athletic ability, uh, to develop into a starting left tackle down the line. And worst-case scenario, he could be that swing tackle behind Pryor, behind Brayden Smith, who can come in and play a few games if he needs to, if there's any injuries um, on the edges there. Uh, Moving along, fourth-round pick, 115 overall, Cade Auten, tight end out of Washington, a good blocker, one of the best blocking tight ends in this draft, reliable receiver, has good hands, um, knows how to get open, just has good size at 6'5", about 250, just doesn't have that elite athleticism that would have him going higher in the draft. But this is a guy who can come in and play that Jack Doyle role, really move the chains, and uh, give you good blocking in the run game. So I would love for the Colts to get a tight end like this in the mid-rounds to really play with Mo Alleycox and Kylan Garants and give them three tight ends they can uh, use and have at their disposal. Another fourth-round pick, cornerback Zion McCollum. Uh, a developmental guy, but when you make a move and go get Stephon Gilmore and you already have Isaiah Rodgers and Brandon on, you can take a guy who might not be ready to start right away. McCollum we'll 6'2", ran in the low 4'3s, he's uh, jumped out of the gym in his vertical jump. This is a guy who has freakish athleticism. Um, but playing there at Sam Houston State might not be ready for the big time in year one. A nice depth piece, so who can learn behind a guy like Gilmore? Uh, the last fourth round pick the Colts have, one of their original picks, actually, 122, have them taking Kyle Phillips, uh, slot receiver from UCLA. He's been compared to uh, Hunter Renfro in about 5'10, not super big, uh, ran in the uh, four five eight forty, I believe. So he's not the fastest either, but really just knows how to get open. Good route runner, uh, reliable hand. So, you know, the Colts receiving core at this point is taking shape. You got Pittman and Dotson on the outside, and then you got a guy like Kyle Phillips who can man the slot, and he returned punts in college as well, so that's added value for you. Moving down the list here, uh, Chris Ballard always has a pick or two where you go, who? Who was that? Where did he play? So in round five, pick 179. I have the Colts taking center Joshua Williams at a UNC Pembroke. He's a guy, another guy might not be able to start right away, but he can give you that depth, and he's got the athletic traits teams are looking for at the position. This is the kind of pick that kind of reminds me of Danny Pinter, a fifth-rounder who played at a smaller school but has um, the upside to be a good starter for you down the line. I'll finish up with my last two big see- picks here, really depth pieces. But linebacker Jack Sandburn out of Wisconsin, linebacker is going to be a sneaky need coming up. Okuriki's in the final year of his contract, and with you know all the money that the Colts need to allot to players like Quentin Nelson, Yannick Ngakwe, uh, uh, Michael Pittman Jr. in a couple years. I'm not sure if they're going to want to sink more money into a linebacker while already paying Darius Leonard, so I had them take Sandburn, who can help on special teams and maybe be a starter for you down the line. And then the last pick, round seven, 240 overall, a big 340-pound nose tackle, Noah Ellis out of Idaho. He can kind of be that backup defensive tackle uh, who can man the nose if anything happened to Grover Stewart, so... That's what I have in the draft. Uh, I'd be ecstatic if the Colts came away with a class like this. I felt like they not only got guys with high upside, but also a lot of guys who can fill in right away and fill needs.
0: That Noah Ellis there in the seventh round is someone that I drafted a couple times there in the uh, in, in the late late rounds. Just because like it, it, it's hard. you can't teach 6'4", 236. You just can't do it. And uh, if someone like that falls that, that low, it, it makes it just really intriguing. Um, and, and like you said, online, especially it's, uh, could be ready. Maybe if Grover Stewart's contract expires in 2024 and the Colts decide to move on at that point, you're always thinking about the future. If you're Chris Ballard, uh, at that point, even, even if you love Grover, which I think all of us do right now, we, we think he's a really, really good player. We love him there in the center of the line, but you're always trying to develop depth and uh, have players who can come in and, and, and fill in, in those rules, uh, when necessary. And at the top, like, I, I love Jahan Dotson, and I think a lot of times when I was drafting in pro football focus, Jahan fell to the Colts there. It was, like, between him, like, Tolbert was still there out of South Alabama a lot of the time, so you had your pick of a couple guys there at, at, uh, at wide receiver, it let me trade down a couple times there for my second round pick, which I did, and I'll get to that eventually in my in my draft, so I can take someone just a little bit later and get, get a couple picks uh, eventually, but... Um, but that's, it, it's a draft that certainly brings in players with some potential guys that fit some needs. Uh, chap, when you looked at, uh, at Joe's draft, what did you think before, uh, before we get on to your draft and what you were able to get?
2: Well, two things. That's an addictive site. For football, it's it's addictive. You just sit there and you keep trying to redo it and redo it. Second, I wasn't intelligent enough to do trades to make them work. So mine is void of trades, which I know right away is wrong because because there will be trades one one thing that that i i will say up up front as well i am i'm on jim ursay's all chips in boat i am so if i'm going to preach receiver i'm i'm going to put actions to my words so and also after joe gave us a mel kiper view of all these players i won't I, I I don't know that this guy ran a four or five or whatever. I, I just kind of know they fit positional needs more times than not. I had Johan Dotson as my as at forty two, but I did one and, and Christian Watson was there, and I just thought that with the size he brings, I realize Pittman's a, a good size as well. But I like Christian Watson's upside, so I, he was my guy at forty two. And then, and then again, I'm going all in. At 73, I'm taking Alec Pierce, the Cincinnati receiver, and I realize that's probably a, a shade high for him. But I remember there was a note that where the Colts went to Cincinnati's workout, and, and people said, Ah, oh, they're looking at the quarterback. Well, maybe they're looking at the receiver. So I am I am so all in on. Doggone it! You better fix this receiver core or. You're going to be talking to us in November as how you didn't address it. So I go Watson Pierce. And then uh, at 122, I took Kellen Dyche of Arizona State a tackle. Not as a starter. I don't think, again, I don't think you can get a starting tackle where they're at, but boy, they need a swing tackle. They need a guy that can develop. And, and I, I don't want to say Joe Wright. You want more than that, although he was pretty doggone good. But you need that guy that can step in and play when you need him. At tight end, I went at 159, Daniel Bellinger, because I've got to find a tight end. And I tried to squeeze one higher, and it just kept – for me, it didn't work, so I took Bellinger at 159. At 179, I I do think they're going to continue to try to reinforce the offensive line with talent. Joshua Zudu uh, from North Carolina, he's a guard there. You're always looking for interior players. The Danny Pinner type guys, and then the last two picks at 216 and 240. I, I go cornerback with Fayetteville State's Joshua Williams. Maybe that's the off off radar type of guy as far as where he played, and, and then follow follow that, but with Sean Jolly of Appalachian State. Although most of my most of my other mock drafts, I did have the the Idaho tackle Noah Ellis there. So uh, at least we're on the same page on
0: those that's a uh that's a I think that Colts fans would love wide receiver wide receiver off the top chap so you, you are you are striking the chord i think with the, with the heart of many out there i went back I went back and looked and
2: they they just don't do that teams don't do that the last time the Colts took two early receivers was in 1998. remember the year of our manning? and they took uh, second round Jerome pace third round eG green Payton was a hit, played pretty well. E.G. Green, injuries kept it. So, I, I just, again, actions tell me what they're going to do. And they've got to, at some point, come with two receivers. If you're going to do that, take two early wins and get two guys that can step in and play.
1: Man, Ch- Chapel really going for the guys. Like Chris Ballard said in the episode of Pat uh, To the Draft, you know, that series they have with metrics. Alec Pierce, 6'3, ran a 4'4", 140, and had the best vertical jump at the combine with 40 inches, 40 and a half inches. And then we've talked about Christian Watson. Uh, he's 6'4, ran a 4'3'6, and he jumped 38 and a half inches as well. So Mike Chapel really going with that upside there. The Colts, Pittman Jr., Watson, and then Pierce would just be. Uh, towering over all the defensive backs in the league with a wide receiver core like that. I'm probably running past them, too.
2: Because yeah. uh, I, I I think I, they, they have convinced me that they're bringing T.Y. Hilton back. They they have. So I think he, he's your slot guy. And uh, it won't happen, but, but uh, I would be in favor of it.
1: All right. And maybe Paris Campbell gives you something for the slot, too. Who knows? Jeez. Please. How
2: many, how many years have we heard that?
0: That'd be tremendous if he did. It would be does. does. tremendous if he did. All right. Time for my draft. Okay. So when I came up at 42nd overall, uh, I I saw David Ajabo was still there, defensive end from uh, Michigan. And I think that let a lot of people be interested. A lot of other teams be interested in my pick. Um, There was like a group of like seven or eight other teams that said that wanted to trade for my pick. So I I went through and I was uh, digging through and seeing which was the best offer uh, for the Indianapolis Colts. And uh, I I came away with trading my 42nd overall pick to the Buffalo Bills for four picks. And it's not like I forced this through at like a 10% acceptance rate. This was one that was right around 50. I think it was between 45 and 50, like percent acceptance rate for anybody out there who knows how the pro football-focused trades work. So I'm not forcing through something that's incredibly rare. I got, for the 42nd overall pick in the second round, I uh, I jumped down 15 spots to 57 in the second round. Then I got another third, fourth, and fifth round pick for that. So I was thrilled to get that. Four picks for one, which brought me to uh, 10 picks for this draft, and after that I was done with my trades. Um, So that was my one trade that I made. I traded down from 42nd uh, to 57th. And there I took wide receiver Christian Watson out of North Dakota State. I love 6'4". I love 4.36 in the 40-yard dash. Um, Incredibly intriguing measurements, which we've seen Chris Bauer take in the past. Um, Certainly needs to prove that he can play against bigger, faster players all the time in the NFL but uh, he has the big and fast himself to, uh, to compete with that. Um, certainly has to work on on all of his uh, expanding his route tree from what he did at FCS level, North Dakota State, but that that's what he has time for in the NFL. You don't expect him all the time to come in and, uh, and be able to be an, an all-pro year one. I like Lance Zerline's com- pro comparison to Dontrell Inman, who was with the Colts uh, very briefly that one year, um, that uh, he can he can be an effective an effective player at, right out of the gates, I think, even if he's not, like I said, pro-bowl caliber in his first couple years. So I took Watson there. Uh, my next pick, round third, 73 overall. Uh, I took tackle, Nicholas Petit-Freer. Um, again, another guy who has a lot of good measurables, Out of high school, he was rated incredibly high going to Ohio State. Um, Joe, you mentioned kind of his inconsistent play, and that's kind of the knock against him. It was against the best caliber players, against uh, Michigan's duo of Aiden Hutchinson and David Ojabo. He was not that good. Against um, Ebikite out of Penn State, he really wasn't that good. So I don't want to draft him and plug him in right away as the starter. I want to draft him and see what, uh, what the, the Colts staff can do. From, uh, from, again, reading NFL.com, their analysis of him, there was some, uh, some uh, AFC scouts that had said uh, they, they would have loved to see him go back to college so he can develop a little bit more. Well, now he can develop with you. Uh, you can work on specifically developing what you want out of him and uh, see if he can be... Uh, a starter in the future if Pryor doesn't work out. And if Pryor does work out, he's a swing prospect right there Um, that you can move to left tackle, right tackle, which he played both of them during his time at Ohio State. All right. Uh, That brings me to later in the third round, 89th overall, I pick I got from the Bills in that trade. I am not going through a draft without taking David Bell, you guys. I love (laughs) me some David Bell. He is going to be a cult. I'm taking him right now. Maybe this is partially because I loved Terry McLaurin a couple of years ago. Another indie guy. He was a cathedral product. Uh, I've loved David Bell for a while. I liked him when he was at Warren Central uh, in his like early years, sophomore, junior. I fell in love with David Bell his junior year playing basketball when they were an undefeated team and David Bell in semi-state went toe-to-toe against uh, Romeo Langford and did more than hold his own. I think he's a gamer. I think he embraces the competition. I think he is not afraid of going up against guys at another level. And expanding his game. I am going to take David Bell. It's just going to happen. Uh, so so David Bell is a wide receiver that I could not, uh, could not pass up uh, there in the third round at 89th overall. We go to the fourth round at 122. The tight end that I took in this draft was Charlie Kohler. Out of Iowa State, 122nd overall, like I said. So, so here's the 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 deal with this kid. Um, he was, for all, um, let's see, the winner of the William V. Campbell Trophy twice, which is known as the Academic Heisman. He is a guy that is. By every descrip- description, a horseshoe guy. That's kind of what made me focus on him. He has incredibly high character, and I think he has some traits in the fourth round that are very uh, intriguing. Um, like I said, great student, great work habits. He has great size, good measurables. He's 6'6 six, six half, two hundred fifty two 252 pounds, 34 and a half inch arms that Joe loves. This guy could be an offensive tackle if you added a couple more pounds, right? So I, I think yeah. He's, a, yeah he's a good he'd be a good blocking tight end immediately like Jack Doyle was I'm not going to compare him to Jack because Jack was uh, was a two time Pro Bowler I don't want to say he's going to be like that right away but I do think he has some really good potential to be a, a good inline tight end at the next level and I think that he could really add something uh, to to the Colts offense when he fully develops into uh, what what he can be uh, with a little bit of work <clears throat> so. Not very dynamic after the catch, but again, neither was Jack Doyle. Give him the ball, let him get the first down, and and get down. All right, moving on, round four, 130th overall. Another pick that I got from the Bills. I took guard Marquise Hayes out of Oklahoma. The Colts really do need to shore up some interior uh, offensive line right now because you have your two starters in Danny Pinter and uh, Quentin Nelson, but after that, it's a whole lot of, well, who's next? Uh, Will Fries is a guy that can be a backup, but they literally have no one else on the roster. Literally no one. Go go to Colts.com, click on roster, and see who's an interior offensive lineman. That's it. Everyone else is tackles. So you have your two starters and you have Will Fries as a backup. You need some depth there. And so I took, like I said, Marquise Hayes uh, out of Alabama. Uh, he started 11 games at left guard in 2020. Uh, he started all 13 games at left guard last year. Um, and the NFL comparison I thought was intriguing was Denzel Good, a player that the Colts took in the seventh round uh, quite a few years ago and uh, tried to make him a tackle, and he wasn't a tackle, and he turned into a guard uh, there for the Raiders for a couple years. And I'm not sure if he's still with the Raiders, but I thought that the Colts really needed some some help on the inside. He has some tackle measurables, too. He's 6'5", 34, nearly 35-inch arms, so he's a really massive dude. Again, one of those measurables guys that I really like uh, for the Colts. We go to the fifth round, 159th overall. I took linebacker Micah McFadden out of Indiana. Uh, I I watched Micah McFadden a lot, obviously, since I'm in the uh, Fox 59 sports office and we get to watch Indiana and Purdue games on Saturdays. And the Indiana defense was better with him on the field all the time. He was a good blitzing linebacker. Um, Not that I think the Colts really use him a lot in that role or on defense at all, really. But they need some help in special teams. Uh, Matthew Adams is gone. Linebacker is, I don't think it's even that sneaky. I think it is a need for the Colts in this draft. I think they're going to take a linebacker somewhere. And I think Micah McFadden has a tremendous motor. And uh, and with his blitzing capabilities at Indiana, that kind of shows me that he would have some good special teams uh, prowess as well. So, So I took Micah McFadden there in the fifth round. Uh, later on, another need I think the Colts have is at safety. They don't have a whole lot of safeties on this roster right now. I took Sterling Weatherford, a safety out of Miami, Ohio, who is another massive uh, human being. He is 6'4", which is pretty tall for a safety, which is not ideal uh, in, uh, in complete honesty. Uh, pro Football Focus actually gave me an F for this pick in the fifth round. I'm still a little bit bitter about that. But uh, nevertheless, he's huge. He's like 6'4", he's 230 pounds. Maybe he can swing as a linebacker. That's a linebacker. Exactly, sounds like a linebacker. Hey, maybe he's another guy who can be a linebacker and a special teams guy. But I think they need a little bit of help uh, at that position. Kyle Hamilton himself is a 6'4", 230-pound guy who's going to go in the first round. Uh, Sterling Weatherford has those same measurables. I'm not comparing him to Kyle Hamilton, for crying out loud. But uh, I do think that he has um, size, length, helps coverage in that aspect but I do think that he can uh, he can contribute immediately to special teams as well and he can be a guy who covers tight ends if you want to make him put him into that role and the Colts have been absolutely deplorable at covering tight ends so maybe he's a guy who you can who can you can fit into that role from, from that position. Uh, later in round five I took running back Brian Robinson jr. who had a heck of a productive year at Alabama. I think the Colts need a running back uh, because you have your top two in Hines and um, and Jonathan Taylor. And Deion Jackson's your third right now. He was an undrafted guy last year. Um, I think this is a need that the Colts have that uh, hasn't been talked about too much. So you need another guy who can come in in that Jordan Wilkins role. Jordan Wilkins was incredibly valuable to the Colts um, in, in his time. I think you need a guy who can come in and spell some of your top guys. Uh, round six, 216th overall, I took Connor Hayward, a tight end out of Michigan state. And I thought that I, I really like this pick you guys, because I thought back to two years ago when the Colts signed Roosevelt Knicks, a fullback, and he just didn't make the roster because they didn't get enough off work with him. Frank Reich said that he wanted some kind of a, an H back slash fullback, and he could add some things to, uh, to the offensive, to the playbook and just couldn't quite get it in due to 2020 being 2020 and having so much limited time with everybody. So I think the Colts draft Connor Hayward to make him that, their H-back and their fullback, um, and, and he's the uh, the son of Craig Ironhead Hayward. So you got to get him, a guy like that, on the roster, no doubt. And I closed out with another player in the seventh round that Chap had in his mock with Joshua Williams, cornerback out of Fayetteville State, uh, another guy who has, um, who has length, and uh, is, is a position I think that the Colts could could use to, to build up a little bit. So those are my 10 picks from the draft, uh, start to finish. Uh, what would you guys think about uh, who I took there for the Colts?
1: Remind me, who would you take with 50? 57, 56.
0: I took Christian Watson.
1: Christian Watson. I mean, I think it's pretty great to be able to trade back and still get a guy like Christian w- Watson in the second round who immediately he's your deep threat. He can go deep. That's what he did in college. He made big plays the last couple of years. I think his college career, um, when I was doing the wide receiver profiles a few weeks ago, he averaged over 20 yards per reception. He can help you on kickoff returns. He can take end rounds. I compared him to Martavis Bryant, who really, with the Pittsburgh Steelers a few years ago, just get the ball in his hands. And he has special athleticism for a guy that big, so... Um, I thought that was really would really be huge for the Colts to not only trade back and get more uh, depth in the draft, but still get a player with such potential.
2: Yeah, now several of the drafts that I did, uh, I had them taking Brian Robinson as well, and then I talked myself out of it because I, I, I sort I know I, I sort of think they they looked at I think they really like Deion Jackson, and I think they can they think they can get a couple of quality running backs post-draft. But I, I do think that's a position they need to to address at, after you get past the ones that we've just kind of worn out, but uh, again, I, I almost went with Brian Robinson, but talked myself out of it.
0: Yeah, with, with Brian Robinson specifically, like each of the past uh, couple years under Ballard, 2021, 2019, and 18, they left training camp with four running backs on their 53-man roster. So I'd expect them to go with four running backs again. Right now, really, you only have three with Deion Jackson and then Naheem Hines and Jonathan Taylor. So I think somebody's going to be there, whether it's a uh, an undrafted free agent like Jackson was last year or it's a draft pick, we'll, we'll still have to wait and see about that. All right, it's time for bold predictions about this draft, about what the Colts are going to do. Um, and so each of us will make at least one. Like my prediction is kind of a, a dual one, and I have it in mind, that they're going to take at least one linebacker and at least one running back in this draft. Those are two positions that, that are not being talked about too much about the Colts' needs, and I understand why, because their biggest needs are elsewhere, and people really focus on the top of the draft. But losing Matthew Adams is big for uh for the special teams and uh you need another one like jonathan well excuse me jordan wilkins was also a significant special teams player he was the up man in the punt unit like he was the the man that got the was right behind the snapper and kind of organized things there so um so i think you get a linebacker you get a halfback to kind of fill in those two roles uh, and somebody you want somebody you like for those two roles because special teams is important so you go and draft someone instead of uh, just kind of rolling the dice with free agency, and maybe you get them, maybe you don't. So uh, that's my bold prediction with uh, one linebacker, one running back at least in this draft. Chap will go to you next, and then, Joe, you can round us out with your bold predictions for this draft.
2: Yeah, it, it, I don't know how bold it is, but this is going to be an offensive draft. It, it has to be because, again, what they've done in free agency and in trades up to this point, if you take Matt Ryan out of it, I mean, so I, they've left themselves bare at receiver. They, they've they've left themselves thin at tight end, and they've left themselves thin on the offensive line. When you lose, you know your 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 left tackle and your your two right guards. So I I, I I've got their first five picks being offensive players. This sort of goes in cycles. You know they they go defense, and it's funny because Chris Ballard joked. He says you guys are going to be a little surprised when I go defense defense. With my first two picks, now I'm, sh- I'm sure he was poking the bear.
0: I don't know if he was. That's the thing. <laughs> it, it,
2: it, if he goes defense, defense. All I'm saying is, then they've they've got some formula to, for winning that I'm not familiar with. Because doggone it, you've got to score twenty-seven, thirty points on a regular basis to compete in this league. You're not going to win a lot of seventeen to thirteen games, so. To me, again, I I keep harping on the fact that everything they've done tells me they're going on the offensive. I think to come away from this draft with two receivers and a tight end, how soon, we'll see. I will be shocked if that's not part of their draft uh, come Sunday morning.
1: I'm going to get a little specific with my predictions here. Last year, I correctly predicted the Colts would take Michael Pittman Jr. with the 34th overall pick. I'm going to try to predict another wide receiver. It's between Jahan Dotson and Sky Moore. For me, Sky Moore the wide receiver. I don't think we've talked about today, but at a Western Michigan,
2: I never I um, could never I could never get Sky Moore to be there at 42.
1: And you know, I'm I kind of have it flipped in my mind. I I think there's a better chance Moore is there than Dotson um cuz I think teams will value Dotson's you know, kind of the tiebreaker between the two players being Dotson playing in the Big Ten higher competition. Um, So I guess for that reason, I'm going to have the Colts taking Sky more at 42nd overall. That's my prediction, because I think in actuality, um, Jahan Dotson is going to go before him, even though they're very similar players when you look at their size, their speed, what they're able to do on the football field. I'd be thrilled with either, but because I believe Dotson's going um, earlier. I think the Colts are taking Sky Moore uh, come Friday.
0: Well, it will certainly be an intriguing three days. Chap, you have something to say? No,
2: I was just, I was just, with, with all that we've talked about with receivers and the fact that it's so deep, I wonder how much Chris Bell would really l- have to love a receiver. Sky Moore, Dotson, Watson, to move up from 42 to like, 34, 33, how much would he have to really like that guy to move up knowing you're going to give up something to move up?
1: Kind of similar to Jonathan Taylor where he moved up a few spots. And Yeah, it would have to be a wide receiver that they had ranked significantly higher than the other guys left on the board. Um, We just have to see maybe, you know, I think before the Colts, the Seahawks have two straight picks. um, And currently with Metcalf and Lockett, They seem set at wide receiver. I think they even took another in the third round last year. So maybe if they went, they wouldn't have to compete with Seattle. But probably a few picks ahead of that, there are several teams who are looking at wide receiver. I mean, you got the Jets picked twice. The Bears at thirty nine could use a wide receiver. um, The Lions at thirty four. So maybe they try, there's a specific team where they're afraid they're going to take their guy and they try and jump ahead of them. And just
0: for for reference, that Jonathan Taylor trade, the Colts were at 44 in 2020. They traded up three spots to 41 to get Jonathan Taylor. They gave up a fifth round pick to do so. So if you want to jump up between three and five spots, maybe you give up a fifth round pick. If you want to jump up between, I don't know, six and nine or whatever to get higher in the second round, you might need to give up a fourth round pick to get up there. So, so that's what probably in my mind that that they would have to do to uh, to do something and to get somebody that would really pique their interest to to be the guy right there alongside Michael Pittman Jr. for the foreseeable future.
2: And you remember I remember when we were talking to Jim Ursay after the draft and the Jonathan Taylor draft is they sort of had the inclination to sit there at was it 44? Yeah. Because Taylor kept coming to him and then Ursay said, "Hey, you know, the worst thing you have is that you keep waiting and waiting, and then somebody takes him ahead of you. If you really like the guy, go get him.
0: And if someone else can trade up right in front of you, so I mean, even if Seattle's sitting there right in front of you, you're like, "Oh, Jonathan Taylor's going to come to us." Wrong, because somebody behind you can trade up in front of you and go and get him. So yeah, that's that's if you love somebody, you, you go
1: get him. And yeah, I don't think the Colts are missing that fifth round pick right now. No,
0: I don't think so. I, th- <laughs> I, th- I think they're okay. They're they're good with Jonathan Taylor. We'll see what the 22 NFL Draft brings to the horseshoe. It begins Thursday evening, 8 o'clock. If you're in central Indiana, we encourage you to tune into Fox 59 at 730. Watch our Blue Zone Draft special that will be broadcast there before things uh, really kick off uh, with the action. And uh, you can follow us online, like I said earlier, fox59.com, cbs4indy.com. Uh, follow Joe's live blog of the draft there. And then we anticipate things to really get hot and heavy on Friday. As the Colts will come up at least right now, 42nd overall in the third round and then 73rd overall in the third round. Uh, Second round and third round picks for the Colts there uh, on Friday night. They're scheduled right now. We'll see if Chris Ballard stands pat or makes a move for a player he super wants or moves back to garnish a few more picks. And uh, as Chap said earlier, have a few more darts to throw at the board this year. Follow us online at Colts Blue Zone on Twitter uh, to stay up to date with Colts news and notes throughout the week. Joe Hopkins is at Roto Street. Joe, Mike Chapel is at chapel 51 I'm Dave Griffiths at DaveG underscore sports. We thank you for listening. Hope you enjoy the weekend of the NFL Draft, and we will see you next week on the Blue Zone.